Arkansas lost on Saturday. They lost to Mississippi State, got pummeled again. 52-24, I believe, was the score. And, I mean, yeah, who gives a shit about the Arkansas score, right? But here's why you should give a shit. Chad Morris still does not have a Power 5 win as Arkansas head coach. With that Mississippi State loss, he is 0-14. Those are all SEC games. So he's 0-14 against Power 5, 0-14 against SEC. His four wins as Arkansas head coach in almost two full years now. Eastern Illinois. Portland State, Tulsa, and Colorado State. So if he doesn't beat either LSU or Missouri, and those are the last two remaining Power 5 games this season, if he doesn't beat one of those two teams, they're not beating LSU. They might have a prayer against Missouri, but I wouldn't bet on it. If that does not happen, Chase, he's going to be the first Power 5 coach this millennium to not win a Power 5 game in his first two seasons. There have been a couple of coaches that have done that in back-to-back seasons. I went back and looked, um, like Duke did that. I can't remember if it was Ted Rofe or Carl Franks. Maybe both of them did it. But unless I'm just missing somebody here, no other Power 5 coach in this millennium has gone his first two seasons without a Power 5 win. And I don't know how far back that goes. I went back to 2000. I don't have the, the technology skills or the time to find out that quickly. Uh, but in my research on Saturday night when I was writing about Chad Morris, nobody else has done that since 2000. So we're not going to talk about Arkansas too much here because we just talked about them. Who would they fire? Or excuse me, who would they hire a couple of weeks ago? But very quickly, Chase, does this warrant a firing? Should Arkansas pay the ten million dollar buyout after the season, two years after paying Bielema twelve million dollars? Should they pay Morris ten million dollars to go away, and will they pay more, uh, pay Morris ten million dollars to go away? I mean, I kind of go back to what we talked about a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about this. Is this all Chad Morris's fault? Like, it's pretty bad to be. 0-6 in, in conference and 2-7 and overall and four wins in the last two years. Like, all that's bad. I don't think anybody would argue that, especially Arkansas fans. But how much of this is Chad Morris is not doing a good job? And how much of this is the gap between Arkansas and the rest of the SEC West, or even just the rest of the SEC, is so wide that it's almost, you know, the winning there is so minimal that I don't know what success looks like in that position. So, yeah, fire him if you want, if you want to pony up the $10 million while you're still paying Bielema and bring in a third guy and, and just be writing checks to everybody. Do, yeah, whatever. Do, like, if you want to replace him, fine. You have an easy case to make. But I, I just, if you want to find success in your Arkansas, I feel like you have to define what success is and instead of just driving blindly down the road like, oh, why aren't we winning more games? Because I don't think this is all Chad Morris's fault. I get your point, and I would get it more and buy into it if you weren't losing to San Jose State at home. Yeah, that's that's the tough one, right? That's the one that they should have had. And, and they're better this year, San Jose State, because the last four or five years, they've been like a bottom five team, and they're not that this year. But they still shouldn't be beating Arkansas. You know, right, they're still a bottom half G five team, and and I under yeah I, I completely agree. And how much of it is actually Chad Morris's fault? I think he walked into a tougher situation than we all thought. Same, we'll talk about Florida State and Willie Taggart here in a little bit. I think that situation is kind of similar that we didn't really know how tough of a situation it was. And yes, it was almost close to a total rebuild. But if you're still losing that game and you're getting blown out in basically every SEC game, yeah, they looked decent against A and M earlier this season. I would buy into that more if they were close but they're not close. Like Mississippi State is not that good of a team, and you're just getting slaughtered. So I, I get it, but you're still losing to San Jose State at home. Do you think they will fire him? I think it's a money thing. I think as bad as they are and as easy as it is to make the case to fire him, like how, how much money does the University of Arkansas have to just be doling out all these checks? 
I, I and then really you're hiring think somebody else, and then you're paying that new guy. Assuming if you're this pissed off with Morris and Bielema, you would think at this point they're going to swing for the fence and say, this is enough, we need to go get a $5 million guy. So not only are you paying 12 to Bielema, 10 to Morris, you're probably signing a new guy to a five-year deal, $5 million, uh each year, and the buyout on that is probably going to be $20 million for the first couple of seasons. So you damn and well— that guy's going to lose games for the, all of the reasons we've already right, outlined. Right, You're not going to turn this around. You're not going to go win eight games if you grab— I mean, they're not going to hire like Scott Satterfield, but let's say you go and grab Scott Satterfield. Arkansas probably isn't going to win eight games next season. No. Let's play so you're wrong. I, yeah, I, I don't know. Unless you had anything more on Arkansas. No, just I, I feel bad for Razorbacks fans because they're just in one of those spots where it's like, man, I, I don't know how you get out of that. I it's kind of how I feel about like Maryland. I thought Mike Loxley was a horrific hire, but I still kind of feel bad for Maryland because even if you make the right hire there, what are the expectations in the East? I mean, you're still not going to be a top three team in the East 99% of the season. So I kind of feel the same way there. Okay, let's play you're wrong. I'm going to go here. Chase, you're going to tell me when I am wrong with each of these statements. Number one, this is something that we've talked about a lot. Now, I think that you're going to agree with it. Oklahoma, Kansas State, and Baylor are the three best teams in the Big 12. Oklahoma, Kansas State, and Baylor. Uh, yeah, I, I'll agree. I, I think if I was going to disagree, I could push you with Oklahoma State and Kansas State, but I, I think I think overall I'd probably agree with that. You could put oh you you would put Oklahoma State in over Kansas State? If I was going to disagree, I think that's what I would do. But I think Kleiman and Kansas State has been more consistent than Oklahoma State this year, so I don't I don't have a problem with that. Staying with Kansas State, staying with Climate. Number two, Seth Luttrell. So Seth Luttrell was their top target. I know Climate was in there. It's kind of like a Louisville, Brom, and Satterfield situation where Brom was the number one guy, but they really wanted uh, Satterfield, stu- uh, Satterfield too. So with Kansas State, Seth Luttrell was number one. They also wanted Climate, but Seth Luttrell was the guy there. So number two, Seth Luttrell saying no to Kansas State will prove to be the most. I'll say most notable move, any move, hiring, firing, rejection, interview, anything, it will prove to be the biggest move of last year's coaching carousel. Mm. Basically what I'm saying there is that Chris Kleiman was a phenomenal hire, and they are going to be so, so happy that Seth Luttrell said no, just like Louisville is right now that Jeff Brom said no. Yeah. I think it'll be the biggest decision of that coaching carousel last year. Yeah. Totally agree. Number three, follow along here. If you lined up the top five teams in the American and the top five teams in the Pac-12 or the ACC, either you know, pick either one of them, and you rank them, so one through five in each conference, the top five teams, however you thought, you had corresponding teams play each other. So the American's first-ranked team would play the Pac-12's first-ranked team or the ACC's first-ranked team. Again, pick either one. The American would win three of those games. So if you didn't follow, for those scoring at home, if you didn't follow, again, rank the top five teams in the American – ranked the top five teams in the Pac-12 or the ACC, either one, and you played them. I think the American wins three of those games versus either conference. Um, I think I agree with you, and, and let's go through the matchups here. First of all, the, the Americans taking the loss at the top because you're, I, I don't know who you want to call the best team, I guess Cincinnati, because it's the, the only team left without a loss. So let's say Cincinnati is playing either Clemson or Oregon. I think Cincinnati's losing that game. Yeah, I think I think Memphis, and I, I want to ask you about G5 here in a little bit. I think Memphis is the best team in the American right now, and the best G5 team. So yes, but I still agree. I think Memphis is losing that game to Clemson or, or Oregon. Okay, so you, you want Memphis at the top. All it right. doesn't matter. Either one. Yeah, it, it really doesn't, because who, whoever comes out of the American, they're going to lose to Clemson slash Oregon. Well, I think so. whoever is number two there, I mean, who are you, who are you putting as the second best team in the ACC? Do you think it's Wake? I do. 
I, th- I we talked about this the other week, and I think it's Louisville. Okay, so if it's Louisville or Wake, I think I would take either Memphis, Cincinnati, or if you want to put SMU in there on a neutral field, I would take either of those th- either of those three teams against Louisville. I would too. Or whoever you want to come from the Pac-12, I think we agree it's Oregon, Utah. Probably Utah, yeah. I think Utah would have a better fighting chance against those teams than Louisville or Wake Forest. I agree. So in that case, you can make an argument that the Pac-12 would be 2-0. I think the ACC, we both agree, would be 1-1, right? Yeah. So then you get to the third-ranked team in the, in the American, which, I mean, who are we saying there? It's it's either, you think it's either, what, Memphis or SMU? Probably SMU? I think the top three in some order are Memphis, SMU, Cincinnati. And then so UCF can, is a very close fourth. And then who, who's number five well, there? We assume I, I don't think you can just throw Navy. Well, that's like, what I was going to say. Do you think yeah. do you think UCF is the four? Or are you Navy comfortable putting UCF, Navy, four, and five no matter which order? Yeah, I'm fine with that. So if, let's just stick with the ACC for simplicity's sakes here. Because if people are listening to this, they don't have a pen and paper out. Yeah. So they, <laughs> so they lose that top game. Let's just put Memphis in there. So Memphis loses to Clemson. We think that, what, Cincinnati is the number two team. We think that Cincinnati beats, beats Louisville. And then Wake is the third best team in the ACC? Yeah, I'll Unless buy Unless you feel that much better about Virginia? I'll buy Wake over Virginia. Okay, so Wake is number three. So who are they playing then? Are they playing SMU? Yeah, let's say SMU. Give me SMU on a neutral field nine times out of ten. I agree. So they're two and one against the ACC. And then you go to number four. Let's say it is Navy. Let's say Navy is the fourth best team. Who's the fourth best team in the ACC then? I is think it probably for... UVA? I, that's where I take UVA. I think neutral field. Are you taking Navy? God, how See, much? I don't that know. Game that's, I think that's the biggest toss-up. Probably that game would be unwatchable. Navy, I think that's UVA. the biggest toss-up. So it, I would probably take UVA, but that could go either way. But let's just call it two and two. And then the fifth best team we both agree is UCF. Or do you feel really good about a Temple or, or Willie no, Fritz UCF. and Tulane? I think UCF. Right, so you take UCF, then you go down to number five. Are you taking number five from that shit show of the coastal, or are you saying it's BC? Uh, are you I don't saying think it's BC? Yeah, give me... so you don't think it's BC or Florida State? Give me Pitt. Pitt's been, you know, kind of in a in a conference and even in a division that's been crazy up and down this year. I mean, Pitt has been relatively stable. Well, and that's they... a fun one there because they already played because it's UCF. A rematch, yeah, and and I think that UCF was the better team in that game. They obviously didn't win. So then you take. So the point here is is that we both agree that American would comfortably go three and two. They could go four and one. Do you think that this needs to be talked about more, or do you think the American is getting enough love this season? I don't, and I think since the American has existed, I, we, I think we've talked about this a couple times. Their whole like power six PR campaign, it's the stupidest is so, thing in the world. It's so ridiculous. I vomit every time I get one of those dumb. They do like these power six points. I don't know if they do it anymore because I stopped paying attention. But it used to be for football and the men's basketball. Every week they send out these power six points with six points touting their confidence. And every time I got it, I'd vomit all over my entire computer. It was the stupidest thing, and they still do it. Right. I agree with all that, but <laughs> the depth of the conference, I think you can make a pretty compelling case, and I guess that that is sort of the crux of what this discussion point is. The American has more depth this year than the ACC and, and maybe the Pac-12. Well, and the reason why I kept it to top five, because I think that once you get down to the ECU, the Connecticut, even though Tulsa is improved, you can about, go right, six deep. Right, and that's why I think you – because then who do you take out? Which two teams are you taking out from the ACC to make it 12 versus 12? 
I think if you do that, and then you have ECU and UConn playing with no prayer, kind of like we're giving nobody a prayer against Clemson, that's where it kind of becomes tough. And I just don't want to sit here and talk about 12 matchups. That's why I went with five. But yeah, going back to your depth point, sorry, I interrupted you. I mean, it is it's it is what it is. The American, over the last couple of years, and I think this has probably been buoyed by some really strong seasons by UCF, but Cincinnati's never really gone away, and, and you've had some other teams sort of in the mix there too. Memphis has had some really nice years. The American has some some quality depth to it, and I think if you take the top half of that conference, it can compete, maybe not be outright better than every other conference, all those other Power 5 conferences, but it can compete with the top halves of other conferences. They're never going to have that number one team. They're never going to have an Alabama or a Clemson or, or, something, or an Oklahoma, something like that, something that anchors the top of a conference. But the depth through the first four, five, six teams is really good, and I think you can put them up against most other conferences. And that's why it kind of sucks this year because this isn't, this isn't like UCF two years ago where outside of UCF, and I have to go back and look because I can't totally remember all the teams in that. Like Memphis was really good that year. But other than that, it was a very top-heavy conference. This would be the season for that UCF team to be playing in this conference. And I actually think that – so let's say – like, UCF kind of got burned this year. They had Stanford on the schedule. It turns out Stanford is not a very good team. So if they were to have had a good team on the schedule, beaten that team, and had that same type of 2017 team in this conference, then I would have given them an actual fighting chance to make the playoff. Whereas in 2017, they just didn't have any chance. So that's what kind of sucks here. And we talked about this before I hopped on. When I'm watching that, that SMU-Memphis game on Saturday night, I mean, in some way it represented all that is great about college football. But it also represented all that is wrong about college football in that I don't I didn't care who won that game because what what are you playing for there a bowl game I, I don't I, that's what I struggle with and I get that New Year's six games are huge for these group of five teams that's basically the goal for ninety nine percent of group of five teams entering the season the the reasonable ones the delusional ones things are going to play off but that's just not going to happen but what are you playing there I mean you're playing for a New Year's six game and that's great but Ultimately, I don't care that much about a bowl game. I wish this game, I don't know, we've talked about this so many times, I don't know if there's an actual solution for putting higher stakes on this game than New Year's 6. There probably isn't without doing the auto-bid G5, but I just wish there was more to play for last night. Yeah, this is, I think, uh, where you and I start to disagree because I enjoy sort of the the less tangible uh, successes and fruits of college football maybe a little bit more than you. And what I mean by that is, I, like last night's uh, Memphis SMU game was such a big game in the American West, and, and now there's this weird, you know, threesome there at the top of the the league where Memphis is sort of taking control. Navy's right there at five and one, but Memphis has the head to head over them, and now they've got the head to head over SMU too. So it looks like they're going to probably represent that division in the American Championship game which, funny enough, is probably going to be Memphis-Cincinnati. But Memphis and Cincinnati already play in the last game of the regular season, so they're probably going to play back-to-back. They're going to play the regular season finale and then play the championship game. Uh, I sort of enjoy that, that sort of those, those that path more, that getting there to the end, playing in the conference championship games, and then seeing how that springboard, springboards you into the bowl games, into the New Year's Six games. I think... Correct me if I'm wrong. You care maybe a little bit less about that because the, the stakes are lower than the ultimate stakes with the playoff. Uh, I think that's something we've talked about before, which I think is a perfectly valid opinion. You know, we're to some degree we are playing for the national championship, and if you're not in that conversation, 
who kind of cares? Like who really cares? You're 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 going to win a game that doesn't actually matter in the grand scheme of things. I, I don't think that's a totally invalid opinion, but I try to approach things. I've talked about this before. Only one team can win that last game of the season, right? So I, I think winning these New Year's Six games, seeing the Power Five uh, team versus the non-Power Five team, seeing those matchups is something I really enjoy. It's one of the the I think my favorite parts of college football is the powers that be and the blue bloods and all those things against more upstart teams and who has the advantages and the matchups and all those things. I enjoy those things. It's fine if you don't, but I do. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. And it's more of when I'm watching and so many people, I mean, this was just filled on my timeline with people saying, this is awesome for college football. This is this is just fun. I think Matt Brown or somebody tweeted when when the stars align. This is kind of like a once a year, once every couple of years game where the stars align. We get a phenomenal atmosphere. We get two really good teams that maybe not everybody knows about or haven't watched every um, every game this season. We get to watch them and then just enjoy the shit out of this game. I enjoyed the shit out of that game, but when it's over, I feel I feel like I'm just missing something. Like when it's over, it yeah, I get that that the West race is awesome, that, that three, um, three-way three tie you said at the top with Navy, Memphis, and SMU. I get all that. I will watch whatever New Year's Six game that Memphis makes or Cincinnati makes or whoever represents the G5. I'm going to watch that game, but same deal there. When that game is over, I just, I'm not really going to care. Like when UCF has been in it the last couple of years, I just haven't really cared because I'm not a bowl guy. I don't watch that many bowl games. I don't care about that many bowl games. It, it just it feels too much of an exhibition. I will watch them because it's fun to watch football, and it's fun to see who's playing, which NFL draft prospects uh, can boost their stock. I mean, what, what's the coaching carousel looking like at that time? So I get all of that. But when the game is over, I just I don't care about the result as much as I do when LSU and Alabama play next weekend, when Penn State and Minnesota play, when Ohio State and Penn State play. So I think that I I enjoy all of that, but I don't know. We're getting away from what we were actually were talking about. The American is really damn good. If you're not watching the American this year, you need to be watching the American this year. It's a hell of a lot of fun. So anyways, back to your wrong. Number four, Scott Frost will never win a Big Ten championship as Nebraska head coach. Uh, yeah, I, I can't disagree. Uh, never is such a big word, but when you look at how machine-like the best Big Ten programs are, you know, Penn State has really been clicking the last five years, and Ohio State, we all know what that is, and it looks like they're even better this year than before. And, you know, as much as we joke about Michigan, they're still, like, up there as a top four or five program. And, again, Michigan State, we, we've talked about how inconsistent they've been and how maybe Mark is a little overrated, but they're still a, a solid program. They're still a top 40 program. Uh, what... Nebraska doesn't even seem to be in the same galaxy as those teams. So I, I don't, and I didn't even mention Wisconsin. So I, I don't know how you, I, I don't know how you take that leap and think that they're, you know, maybe just one or two years away uh, when it looks bad. It looks very bad. Yeah. It's kind of like if you're like in the SEC East and, and like, I, I mean, Tennessee, I think it is just bursting with potential. I even think a program like South Carolina is bursting with potential. But even if you hire the right, the I mean, Scott Frost was applauded by everybody. I thought you and I both agree that it was a little bit overdone, but we, it was still a great hire. It was still the right hire for them. Even if you're Tennessee or South Carolina, you make the, the best damn hire. How can you feel that good about actually winning the SEC? Some years you might compete for the SEC East, and maybe you make it like Missouri made it to, uh, to the SEC Championship game when they were a good, not great team right when they got into the SEC. But even if you hire the right guy, 
you still don't even feel that great about about winning the SEC. And I, I more said this because, well, it kind of bounced off of what we talked about on the midweek episode last week, where I began to wonder, is Scott Frost a top 10 coach in the Big Ten? And it sounds like we said at the time, just insane. But now with what Tom Allen is doing at Indiana, I'm not... I don't know if I'm like saying that Tom Allen is a better coach than Scott Frost, but I'm a hell of a lot more impressed with Tom Allen, what he's doing with a lesser program, with lesser resources. And yes, Andy, Indiana has invested in the program, but I'm more saying this statement, Scott Frost will never win a Big Ten championship as Nebraska head coach because I just, and I want to be really careful with this because I don't know Scott Frost. I've only talked to him a handful of times in the teleconference. I mean, he seems like a fine guy, but I don't like how he's handling this. And maybe I'm just overreacting, but like when when a reporter, I don't know if you saw it or not last week, I think it was like on Wednesday, a reporter asked how Adrian Martinez is doing. Obviously, Martinez dealing with that leg injury like he has been for the last month. And Scott Frost, he's not required to. Like, I get this. Programs aren't required to divulge injury information. Some teams do it, release an injury report. But I'm not expecting him to, to run through and say, well, we expect Adrian Martinez to be at this percentage. He'll play this number of plays. We're not going to roll him out, do anything like that. But when he asked him about it, Scott Frost gave this sarcastic answer. I think the question was, how does Adrian Martinez look? And Scott Frost is like, well, he, you know, he's 6'4", and he has brown hair. And I think it was Connor O'Gara, who I had on the show last week, he made an, an excellent point that when Bo Pelini was there, if Bo Pelini had responded in that way, it's, oh, Bo's an asshole, he doesn't understand college football, he doesn't understand how to handle the Nebraska media. When Scott Frost said it, it chuckles were kind of in the room. It's like Scott Frost just gets a pat. I mean, that. am I wrong in thinking that's an asshole answer? Um, or is he just having fun during a long season? Uh, it could be that. It, this it, it kind of this almost sounds like my my Popovich comparison, where like Popovich has been an asshole for so long, but he wins. That's true. And Saban wins. Like Scott Frost, yeah, he had the great season at UCF, but he's not winning. And it and with what else he's done, I mean, he was complaining about his guys wearing sweatshirts in pregame. Like, come on, like that's what you're worried about. And if all this Indiana stuff is true, that he actually wanted to play Indiana more. So I guess if if this was just an isolated thing, I wouldn't even probably have watched it or thought about it. But because of how else he's approaching it and his other comments, that's why I don't like it, and that's why it feels like he's being a dick. And I don't think I that's think the right way to more approach games. the reboot. Like if, I, don't, I almost don't even care about this stuff. Like the Big Ten well, we West care because is he's not... losing, right? If they're, if they're what, 7-1 and one right now, yeah, I would be laughing. That would be kind of funny. Turns out you're not 7-1. and one. You just lost to a really bad Purdue team. Like, your team sucks. It's not good, yeah. Number five. Illinois is the best team in the state of Illinois. <laughs> um, ooh. Hmm. You can throw FCS in there if you want to. Yeah, I, that's what I'm running through right now. Because what does FCS uh, have? Southern you, Illinois and Illinois State? Well, or they have I was going to say, Southern Illinois, their big win this year was they beat the shit out of UMass. But, you know, who hasn't done that? Then you have Western Illinois and Eastern Western Illinois. Western Illinois is terrible. So you have four uh, FCS teams, and then you have uh, Northwestern and then uh, – who am I missing? Northwestern's not very good. Northern Illinois. Right. I, I think Illinois is the best team in Illinois. Yeah. Can I make an argument for Illinois – Against Illinois' success this year. Would you allow me to do that? Of course. I think, and this is, I would get black. I don't know if we have any Illinois fans, but they would probably come after me for this. We've got a couple. We have the one guy who got pissed (laughs) at me for for saying Lovey Smith shouldn't, or should be on the hot seat, and he was 
lauding their recruiting and how much forward they were moving. This was before the Wisconsin game, and then he came after me after they beat Wisconsin. But anyways, I would argue that these wins are not good for the program because it's going to give Lovey Smith an extension. It's going to give his boy, his AD, Josh, Josh Whitman, a reason to lock him up and increase. He's already like a top 20, and he's like a top 10. I had to look. Top 10 or top 15 paid head coach in the country. And yes, they reduced his buyout, but that's going up after this season. He's going to get a raise. He's going to get that buyout jacked up. And Lovey Smith is not a great college football coach. So what you're doing is you're getting, you get the Wisconsin win, and then you beat the shit out of a terrible Rutgers team, and they might make a bowl game this season. I can't remember who they play these next few weeks, but Lovey Smith should not be coaching that team. And because you beat Wisconsin, and because you beat the crap out of Rutgers, he's going to get a raise. He's going to get a higher buyout. He's going to continue coaching Illinois. It basically kind of like reset the hot seat for him. So if they get to six wins, he's gonna that leash is gonna be extended out a little bit. If they only go like three and nine next year, well, Lovey Smith beat Wisconsin last, just give him another season. And then he goes like four and eight in, in twenty twenty one. Well, you know, he did beat Wisconsin a couple of years ago. Let's give him one more year. Basically what this has done is guarantee that Lovey Smith is gonna be in Champaign for like three more seasons. Even though I don't think he should be. Is that an asinine argument? It's not asinine, but I don't know that I agree with it. And and this I want to emphasize that I am totally speculating. I have no inner knowledge of the Illinois football program, okay? I, I couldn't begin to tell you anything that approaches inside information. But when I saw the Lovey Smith hire, what I thought was they need a stopgap. They are trying to figure out what direction they're going to. They're trying to identify the next guy to bring in who they think can take them to. Again, this goes back to sort of what is success at certain programs. What's success at Illinois? Seven and five and winning a bowl game? Is that is that success? I think that's a good year at Illinois. Yeah, I think even six and six, and you're like, all right, that's fine. We talked about this actually a few weeks yeah. ago. We right? did. Where so you're you're going to go you know, four, five, six wins. Maybe every five years you win eight. Right. So if Lovey Smith can get them to six and six, which is not out of the question this season, that's a decent year for them. They're trending in the right direction. Maybe after next season, they've identified some young guy that they want to bring in to coach the team. And Lovey Smith maybe knows that this is what they want to do and steps away to another team, another project. They get like a Lincoln maybe, Riley on board or something. Yeah. Maybe that's their idea. Maybe they have a plan. That was what I thought when I saw that hire. So I, I don't necessarily think that him and this team beating Wisconsin means, okay, time to lock him up and, and up his buyout and all of those things. But I think it does. I think based upon how much money they've been giving him and they extended him when they didn't have to, I think he should have been fired before this season. I don't think that they see Lovey Smith as the stopgap. And again, we we both have no inside information. We're just speculating here. Yeah, I, I just yeah. don't agree and, with and that. And you could totally be right. I mean, this it's well, like you I could said, totally be right theory. too. Yeah, they, they could be. Josh Whitman could be like, God, if we can get a good year, I can sit down Lovey and say, you know what, maybe let's get to six or seven wins, uh, and then we can, you know, bring in a coordinator, somebody that we think we can hand hand the reins. Absolutely, that is very possible. I don't think that's what's happening though. They play Michigan State at Michigan State at Iowa and Northwestern at home. Northwestern couldn't score against a Division three team, so they have probably a really yeah, good chance of winning that game. Yeah. So they could go 6-6. Six and six. So do you agree that Illinois is the best team in the state of Illinois? Yeah, I think they are. I, it, it sounded crazy, but when you think about it... Yeah. I only have one left for you wrong. I don't even know if you're going to... You probably will disagree with this. Number six, I actually feel bad for Clay Helton. Okay. I don't think he was ever in a spot to succeed. I mean, his his AD was freaking Lynn Swan for, what, four years or something like that? 
And I get you need to win, but seeing that crowd on family weekend against a top 10 team at the Coliseum, I almost felt bad for him. Like, I'm not asking fans to show up when your team isn't great, but your team's not that bad. You haven't been that bad during your entire run there. You had the one nice season. He was never in a spot. Like, he was never the long-term guy. It was just until the university leadership decided that Lynn Swan was a dumbass hire. We need to get rid of him. Who are you going to hire to replace Swan? And then who's going to be the football coach? Like, it kind of feels like that Matt Luke is just not the guy at Ole Miss. With a new AD there, I think that Matt Luke is, is going to be gone. Because he just feels like, I mean, you talk about a stopgap. That's what Clay Helton just felt like. It felt like when Minnesota just hired Tracy Clays because they had an interim AD and they didn't want to make a big decision. That's what it felt like. It's almost like they didn't trust Lynn Swan with making a big decision on Clay Helton. So I just, I feel bad for Clay Helton. I think he should be fired, but I still feel bad for the guy. So if I say you're wrong, am I saying you're wrong that you shouldn't feel that way? Yes. Tell me how I should feel. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you how you should feel. Um, I don't know. I mean. Okay, let me rephrase it. I think that uh, Clay Helton did not get a fair shake at USC. Uh, I, I would probably agree with that. I think the thing about USC and Clay Helton and all of this is that if you go back 10 or 15 years, USC was the seat of power in the Pac-12, right? If you go West Coast football, that was the seat of power. And then all of these things happened, some of which were foreseeable and some of them weren't, right? We got Chip Kelly at Oregon. We have the rise of Boise State. We have Chris Peterson eventually going to Washington after all of the Boise State stuff. And and, and all of this stuff happens and and realignment and Utah comes over into the Pac-12 and they they sort of build a strong program. All of this stuff happens and USC stops being the team on the West Coast. Instead, they're just sort of a team. And I get that they have a lot of tradition and they've been to a bunch of Rose Bowls and all of this stuff, but it just feels like they have a lot more to compete with now. And it almost feels like you have to reassess where you grade USC on top of all of those other factors that you brought up when talking about Clay Helton and how he fits in there. Okay. Are we good on Clay Helton? I think I'm good, yeah. Let's talk G5. We talked a little bit about American, but I want to bring this back up because we had some really interesting G5 results uh, over the weekend. So a few weeks back on your wrong, you said that uh, Boise State was the best G5 team. So I think you said they're the class of the G5. I think you said that on uh, you're wrong. Then Boise looked awful in a loss to BYU. Sands, uh, Hank Bachmeyer, but still a really bad loss to BYU. At that time, I think I said I thought Cincinnati was the best team. And until Saturday night, I thought Cincinnati was the best G5 team. I don't anymore. I tried to catch as much of that East Carolina game as I could, but was far more interested in SMU Memphis, far more interested in Oregon USC. And we both agree that we like Mike Houston. We think that East Carolina is probably going in the right direction there. Mike Houston special. And they're just a better team than they were under Scotty Montgomery. So I'm not, like, shocked that they they put up a fight versus Cincinnati. I'm shocked that Cincinnati looked that bad against still a pretty bad ECU team. Yeah, I don't – look, I think the world of Mike Houston as a coach uh, for reasons that are well-documented and for more private reasons. uh, But, look – East Carolina's roster is not good. So the fact that they were in that game at all is kind of shocking to me. So, uh, yeah, I, basically, point. yeah, the, my point is that I don't think that game was enough, and I don't like to have quick reactions based upon one game, but that game was enough for me to say Cincinnati is not the best G5 team. I think it should be Memphis, and I think Memphis should be undefeated after that Temple Review debacle, but as we stated earlier, through a tie in the West uh, for first place. So, Chase, who's the best G5 team in college football? And more importantly, I'm more curious about this part of it. What's their 
what's their ceiling? I guess maybe that's not the right word of saying it. What is their... I mean, if we had an 18 playoff, if we had the five auto bids for uh, P5, two at large and one G5, if we had that format, whomever you believe is the best G5 team right now, would they be deserving of a spot? I'm not saying are they one of the best eight teams, but would you be comfortable saying that whoever you think is the best G5 team would be deserving of a spot under that format? Do you follow all of what I just asked you? Yeah. Uh, yes, I follow it, and probably not. Who's the best G5 team? Yeah, that's. it feels like it's it's it hasn't been all that static this year. It feels like it's been different teams at different points. Uh, there, there was a time there where I think you could have argued as it was SMU. I think right now, uh, as you alluded to earlier, it might be Memphis. I really thought Cincinnati looked strong in September, uh, 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 even including that Ohio State blowout. Uh, and, and Boise State, I think, has been uh, the loss at BYU aside, uh, pretty consistent all year, even having a quarterback injury uh, that they're dealing with. I still probably might take Boise State over all of them. Um, but I think you can make a case a lot of different ways, which is good for G5 football because it's not so monolithic this year. It's not just like one or two teams and you know what they are and then there's not a lot of depth past that. Part of that's the American, but part of it's the Mountain West too. The Mountain West has been really good this year as well. So uh, I think you can make a case a lot of different ways. I would probably stick with Boise State. So even though you 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 still do like Boise State, you don't think that in this if if we had this format, the eighteen format with the auto G five bid, and they were to get in, you would not think that they were deserving, even though that would be the playoff format rules. This year, no. I I mean, I guess it depends on how you define deserving. I would think that in an eight-team playoff, deserving means one of the best eight teams. Or, if you want to be a little flexible with it, maybe one of the best 12 teams. I'm not convinced that any of these G5 teams are top 12 teams. Um, I think they might approach it in the rankings, depending on how the schedule works out. I think I think you might see Cincinnati get awfully close there, especially if they win that last game with Memphis going into the American uh, Championship. But... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that any of these G5 teams are solid top 10 teams. I think it's more likely that we have five or six really strong top 25 teams. I guess that's the question is, is because if that, I don't think we're going to get ever to that format. I don't think a G5 will ever get an auto bid. But, and this is kind of my argument against it. I'm, I'm curious if that were to happen what would be the level of outrage if you think that Boise and I don't not you specifically, what would your level of outrage be? But if Boise were to get into a field this year with this Boise team, what would the level of outrage be of people saying, I think there would be extreme outrage if we had this format, no matter how good your G5 team was given a G5 auto bid would piss a lot of people off. But what would be the level of outrage if a Boise did get the G5 spot this season? And that's assuming that, that Boise is the best G5 team. Well, it would piss off people, you know, like Auburn or like Penn State, you know, that are sort of in the conversation to be around that eighth best P5 team. And instead of you getting in and playing a tough SEC schedule or a tough Big Ten schedule, is you know, instead of you getting in as an at-large, it's going to somebody that played, you know, well, maybe the out-of-conference uh, thing wouldn't be a good example, but you know they, they week in and week out are playing Tulane or San Diego State or, or you know teams on that level that are good programs but not necessarily great teams 
year in and year out or week in and week out. So I, I think that's where the crux of the outrage would come from is from these not quite top of the line, but second tier P5 schools that are like, you're really going to take what would be our spot to give it to them. I mean, think like what was the year that Oklahoma state missed the BCS and it was like a travesty. It was 2003, maybe whatever that year was. I think that's sort of what we're talking about. Where like, you're that last team out. We sort of make fun of that fan base in basketball. Cause it's like, Hey man, there's 68 teams in this conference. You know, if you're the 69th team, Maybe maybe get over it. <laughs> maybe you should have won a couple more games. But when you're talking about an 18 playoff in football and the razor is much thinner there, uh, I, I don't know. I, I think that's where you're going to see a lot of it come from. I want to get to, to who they hire in here in a second. But the reason that I brought it up is because I think that this is a good year where even though you and I are basically sitting here gushing over G5 football this season, because as far as I can remember, this is probably the best the best G5 football we've seen in a long time, at least since the, the realignment wave well, seven or eight years ago. And even with that, even with having all of those really good teams that, that we think are top 25 caliber teams, we mentioned all those American teams. Uh, you also have Boise in there. Even with the Georgia State, excuse me, Georgia Southern loss, I still think, I still think App State is probably a top 20 to 25 to, to top 30 team. And even with all of that, I don't think that any of those teams are anywhere near playoff worthy and and that's kind of my point with SMU Memphis is that 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 just I hate the proposal but it also sucks it sucks that one of those teams can't be competing for for a playoff spot okay who would they hire we're gonna do Florida State this week because it it seems like that chatter has been picking up a lot and and going off of the Google trends for for Willie Taggart buyout and I know the fans don't ultimately fire a coach but in some ways, they kind of do. And as Andy Staples uh, pointed out wonderfully on The Athletic a couple of weeks ago, the finances of, of them firing Willie Taggart are really interesting. You know, how much Florida State could be losing in revenue, tickets, concessions, merchandise, all that. So uh, the numbers behind it, Willie Taggart, he's now 9-12, first 21 games as Florida State head coach, comes after one year at Oregon, 7-5. and five. After rebuilding that UCF program, this was his dream job. He was their top choice. So Taggart was Florida State's top choice two years ago. I think Charlie Strong was mentioned there as a candidate they were interested in. James Franklin was. Some speculation if James Franklin was just using that as leverage to get another deal at Penn State. Justin Fuente was in there. So now Taggart signs that huge deal December 2017. Six-year deal, $5 million per season. That's $5 million each year, not an average. We're getting $5 million base salary each season with all those fat bonuses. And if he's fired after the season... His buyout would be $17 million. It would actually be a shade above of that. Uh, his deal, I'm looking at his, his deal the PDF right now. His deal runs through each January. So February 1st, 2020, the buyout would be $17 million. If he's fired after the season, it would we assume it would happen before February 1st. His buyout would be a little bit more, like $18 million-ish prorated. After next year, it drops down to a little under 13, 12.8 and then 8.5 after the 2021 season. So even if they wanted to give him another season, they'd still be paying him almost 13, well, about $13 million with the prorated salary to buy him out. So even if you want to give him another year, you're still paying a ton of money. And yeah, this isn't like we just talked about Arkansas. This isn't an Arkansas type of situation where you're two years removed from another eight-figure buyout. So not stacking buyouts on top of each other and taking a risk with a third head coach in three seasons. So those are the numbers. If fire chase... Who does Florida State hire? Who would you target if they were them? Who is a realistic candidate if you're Florida State? Um, I, I really struggled with this one. I, I, 
I don't know why. I Here, let me go first. Let me, let me go first. I, then. I did not struggle with this at all. So if you struggle okay. with this, let me run through. Why don't you go I, first? Because I do have a name, uh, but I, I wanted to set it up right. But why don't you go first? Yeah, then? I actually didn't struggle with this at all. I mean, I think it's we we've struggled with ones in the past, but I think with Florida State, they're in such an interesting situation because everyone understands how broken this program is. But it's still Florida State, and for the guys that have been coaching for 20, 30 years, it is still Florida State football. So if you were to go, I kind of have like my guys tiered here. So if you were to go with uh, the current, let's say, P5 route, if I'm Florida State, I make somebody like Scott Satterfield say no. I mean, they can give Scott Satterfield more money than Louisville. So Scott Satterfield's in like that low $3 million range first year at Louisville. Based upon Taggart's salary, what they were giving Jimbo, even after the buyouts, unless Louisville wants to double Scott Satterfield's salary after one year, which is not going to happen, Florida State can give more money. So if that's an issue at all, Florida State can do that. So I make Scott Satterfield say no. If he says no, I'm looking at guys like P.J. Fleck, Matt Campbell, Mike Leach, Matt Rule. I think with that, and I think this is kind of the important part, with those, what did I mention, five guys there, that's kind of where we learn what people think of this job. Like I said, this program is broken, but... I mean, this is still Florida State football. This is still what Bobby Bowden built. I mean, this is still why we always talk about Nebraska football. This is still why we always talk about that Tennessee job. Even though that was a shit show, Tennessee is still considered a pretty good job by a lot of people in the profession. It's still a revered job at Florida State. So I think, like, all of those names, Leach could be interested. Like, he spends a lot of time in Florida, not in Tallahassee, in the Keys. But, I mean, I think if you can go after those coaches, you got to get them to say no. Again, Satterfield, Fleck, Campbell, Leach. So I think there's that make them say no group. What do you think of that? Uh, I, I think the Satterfield observation is interesting. I'm interested from his perspective uh, where uh, whether he would be willing to jump after one year because I do think he the turnaround he had from what Louisville was last year uh, to what they are this year is pretty impressive. I think Fleck is an interesting name. I love the rule pick, but I feel like somebody else is going to be able to pay more money maybe in the NFL. Uh, I was wondering, and may, I, I don't know that this is a better name than any of what you put forward, but this is just something I always come back to when you're in that corner of the United States. I feel like Lane Kiffin isn't going to be at Florida Atlantic forever. And I wonder when is his jumping out point? Like, does he just want to be at FAU forever? That seems unlikely. And, you know, I, I he's been good there. I think he's probably going to get another P5 shot eventually. He's in that corner of the world. He has established recruiting ties now. Does he stay in state and jump over to Tallahassee? It's a question I ask myself. I don't feel super strongly about it, but it wouldn't, like, shock me if it happened. So I think his name could pop up sort of in that circle of names uh, that you've also outlined. So when you nicely. say Kiffin to me, and, and let me see if you – this is your logic here. I would think a lot of people would have to say no before they went to Lane Kiffin. Like if they had a list, I can't remember who their AD is. He's a new guy. He was interim for a while. Then I think he came on full-time earlier this season. If he had a list of 10 guys, I don't think Lane Kiffin would be on it. But I also think that a lot of people are going to say no to this job. It's it's a good job. It's still one of the better jobs. I don't, I don't know, top 25 job in the country. Yeah, but it, it, it's, not the best job anymore. This isn't like the top five job that it once was when Jimbo got there. But I think a lot of people will say no to this job. And a lot of people would have to for them to get to Lane Kiffin. I don't necessarily think he's as far down that list as you do. But I do agree that there are at least five or ten names 
in front of him. And I do think a lot of people would say no to it because when you look at sort of the hot coaching commodities, I think a lot of them are still young in their positions and they might not necessarily want to jump even if it is Florida State. So I do think that he is maybe closer to leaving than a lot of these other guys are like Scott Satterfield. Uh, PJ Fleck, I think, is the most interesting one just because I think the, the the difference between Minnesota and then maybe a top 15 or 20 sort of program, I think, is a lot bigger. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, I think Kiffin could sort of be there at the end, but I don't necessarily think he's like the number one candidate or anything. I just think it's it's getting close to his time to go somewhere else. And I think it also just goes to the point, and like I said, I think a lot of these guys would say no. I think of all the guys mentioned, I think Leach maybe could say yes, just based upon his conversation with other programs in the past. I mean, he made it very clear that he was interested in Tennessee. Whether or not he would have accepted that, I don't know. But it seems like if the whole plane uh, losing receptions with Curry didn't happen, Leach probably would have been Tennessee head coach. So he's shown an interest in other jobs, and he was on this podcast, I think, like in the spring or the summer maybe, and so there's nothing wrong with talking to other programs. He didn't see anything wrong with that. So I could see him being interested in that, especially after not the best season at Washington State. But still, I could see all those guys saying no, and I could see all those guys getting pretty nice raises from their program. So if they say no, I think even before you get to Lane Kiffin, I think you look at G5, and I think that Mike Norvell has got to be on that list. We talked about Brian Harson last week if you were to leave, um, excuse me, leave Boise State. So I think if you were to do that, you get a guy that is calm, that is calculated, that has done brilliant work at their respective programs, I mean, I, but I guess my question would, I mean, these fans are pissed in Tallahassee. These are some very, very pissed off fans. Who, what, what type of G, I mean, if they hire Lane Kiffin, like, are they even, are the seats suddenly full at Doe Campbell? Because that's clearly a huge problem right now. Um, it, But I think why, I, I don't really understand. Is it, is it because just the team is so mediocre because I always thought of Florida state fans is maybe a little bit more for lack of a better word, loyal than that. Um, is it because it went from, I mean, this is five years now basically removed from a national championship. Is it because it went from national championship to this, this fast? I don't fully understand why, like where the disconnect is. I get that the coaching has been mediocre. I get that the team is not great and that the offensive line is like a punchline for the last two years. I understand all that, but it still feels like the the anger has gone past sort of the all of the problems, the sum of all the problems. I, I don't know if that made any sense, but I don't fully understand why people are this angry. No, nor do I, and I I think it it's and this is pure speculation. I don't even know. I don't I don't want to try to get in the hands of FSU fans. I just don't really care. But I don't think that that really matters why they are. And it's like we've talked about so many times. If you wake up tomorrow and Lane Kiffin is your head coach, you really feel that much better about it than Willie Taggart? Well, I think it matters some because if the problem is Willie Taggart, if you get rid of Willie Taggart and bring somebody else in, even if it's Lane Kiffin, maybe they feel better. If the problem is some weirder, more systemic thing, then maybe it is more of a, of a cultural or relationship rebuilding type of situation. I just don't get what the fan problem is beyond the obvious mediocrity of the team. I think Taggart will get fired. Again, $17 million, probably around 18 pro rate. I think he is gone. It feels like he could I be. I think he's gone, almost for sure at this point. I'm, yeah. I make Scott Satterfield. I would lean toward yes. Yeah, I make Scott Satterfield say no. That's what I would do if I were Florida State. Okay. 
I'll be back on the High Motor Podcast on Wednesday morning. So I had some media time with Jay Billis this week. I'm going to play that call as the college hoop season uh, tips off here on Tuesday, Champions Classic and a whole bunch of other games. So that will be on Wednesday morning. And then Chase, you, sir, will be back talking Week 11 college football bets. We would love to have all of you back. In the meantime, check out all episodes of the show on Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Stitcher, everywhere, on Twitter, at High Motor Pod. Chase, big plans for Monday? Big plans for Monday. Uh, I don't think so, no. I'm probably just taking it easy, you know, writing some copy, doing the doing the contract stuff, hanging out. Thanks for dropping by. We'll be back on Wednesday morning with the midweek episode of the High Motor Podcast. Oh, oh, oh.